This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the, this is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 188 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Tonight at the TD Garden, the Bruins fell to the Florida Panthers 6-3. to three. The best of seven series is now tied at one apiece, heading down to Sunrise, Florida for Friday night. And, I mean, that was just a brutal game by the Bruins all the way around. You can sit there and say that the effort was there at times, but the carelessness with the puck, the, the lackadaisical play was, quite frankly, inexcusable. And if they feel like they can rest on their laurels of a 65-win season, not that they think that, but their play certainly kind of showed that tonight. And they weren't great in game one either. So they better they better figure out what's going on here because um, if they don't pick it up, <laughs> their season could be for naught. Yeah, just, I mean, what a time to have one of your absolute worst games of the season. Like, put Wednesday night, scheme two up there with, I don't know, the Chicago loss. Like, there's been so few of these games, and to have one in game two of the playoffs is, uh, you know, it, it's brutal. Um, I think Panthers have been the better five-on-five team this series, but I don't think the Panthers have done anything that's, like, totally overwhelming. I think for the most part in game two, the Bruins – beat themselves you know eventually it got out of hand in the third and they didn't they didn't have it they you know couldn't dig deep and come back but the way that they got behind is because they made some just absolutely inexcusable turnovers brandon carlo came out of the zone just i don't know what he was trying to play. like i don't know if he just nothing his pass or, or where he was going with that charlie mcavoy and you know instead of making an easy play behind the net to his D partner tries turning up ice and runs into traffic. And next thing you know, that's in the back of the net. Um, you, you know, game one, like we talked about how the Panthers will blast away from the point game one Bruins did a good job of getting in shooting lanes, tying up sticks, you know, letting all see shots game two, you see Brendan Montour scored twice on, on shots from the point where the Bruins aren't tying guys up, aren't getting in shooting lanes and are instead just screening Linus Allmark. So uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of things went wrong. It's especially in their own zone, like that needs to be cleaned up offensively. You know, we'll get to that. I, I didn't think they worked hard enough to get really quality scoring chances. Um, but certainly the, the D zone play and the turnovers really stood out. Yeah, no, the turnovers were just killer. Um, and the the weird thing about it, about the way that they played, was that I don't think I've seen them play like that at all once this year. So then, when you're actually seeing it in front of you, you're like, you're just kind of shocked because I mean they've had some real stinkers uh, of periods in you know maybe one here or there, like the Chicago. I I had looked up the four goal period. They had four goals against them in the third against Chicago. And they had one really bad period against Pittsburgh, which they ended up coming back and winning that game. Um, But this was just not what we've seen on garden ice. Like it was only their fifth loss all year at the garden. And so for fans and for us reporters, this was not something we had seen one time this year at the garden. Scott, I don't know if you can, remember a period that one as poorly as the third um, of the outcome as poorly as that. And and this obviously is worse than any 
regular season game because those for a long time, the Bruins had knotted up a playoff position. And so towards the end of the year, those, some of those losses were meaningless anyway. Um, and then in a game, you see that's so important. Um, it was kind of shocking to see them fall apart the way they did once uh, Florida got that two goal lead. It just kind of felt like everything was deflated and that people just, it almost felt like they knew that they it could go, you know, we could get back into it, but they never were able to pull it together. Um, and it was so uncharacteristic of them that even though I, I didn't predict a sweep like Scott did, I didn't see a loss like this um, being part of the series. I, I certainly saw the potential for it. I, I mean, I, I never thought that this was going to be, I think I have Bruins in six before the series. I just don't, I think I, I was saying before, I, I feel like Florida has, they have too much talent and, and too much sandpaper to be a, like they're, they're a tough opponent. And this is why I didn't want to play them because you watch the, you watch the Islanders and the hurricanes and those, that series is just kind of, it's, it, it can, Tonight was a good game, but in general, this, their style of play can kind of put you to sleep. Like this Florida team, any team that has Matthew Kachuk as your as your emotional leader, they're gonna be physically engaged. They're gonna be emotionally invested, and and you add to that the the addition of Sam Bennett to the to the Panthers lineup tonight. He and Matthew Kachuk were they were buddies in Calgary, and they ran they ran around for years and against Edmonton, and and they were a big part of that rivalry, and they play with their hearts and their sleeves. So, for this this is why it's like you talk before the series about how the Bruins have the edge in every category, and on paper they should win. The problem is, uh, games aren't paid on aren't played on paper, and and and, and in my opinion, the Panthers have, is there is there a train behind me or you, Scott? That's but that's me. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. Um, thought it was on the Polar Express for a second. Um, I, I just feel like the Bruins, you have to you have to come ready to play. And 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 quite frankly, I think Florida's been the better team for the majority of the of the six periods in the series so far. And and they earned the victory tonight. Uh, I thought that I thought it's it's one of those games where it's it's tough to look at one Bruin in particular and call him out for for playing poor because I thought a lot I thought most players on the Bruins tonight played poorly, but what I can tell you is that I am not a fan of, of the Krejci, Pasternak, Bertuzzi line combination. I think that Montgomery should go back to Zaka between those two, those two wingers and stick Krejci with, with Marchand and Nebraska. If Bergeron's still out, if Bergeron comes back, then I don't know, figure something out. We talked about it in, the, in past episodes. Montgomery just didn't really, as great as he's done all year, he never really had a chance to, to see what, a full lineup would look like because there's always been somebody hurt post deadline. And so if Bergeron is healthy enough to play in game three, which we don't know if that's true, I don't know where you're going to put Krejci, but I, I'll tell you, I don't like him with Bertuzzi and Pasternak. So maybe you try the check line again and then slide Bertuzzi down. I don't know. The forward lines are not clicking right now. And it's not just because Bergeron's out. I don't think the line combinations with Bergeron out were optimized in my opinion. And the forward grouping looks slow. Campus Lindholm looks slow, but we'll keep it to the forwards for now. Yeah. I mean, I actually think three of the four lines have, for the most part, been pretty solid this series. Uh, you know, Marshan Zaka Debrusque, I think, has actually been really good. But you nailed it. The Bertuzzi Crate Pasnak line has been poor. Like, they've just been spending way too much time in their own zone. They cannot sustain anything offensively. Um, you know, yeah, obviously they've made an impact on the power play with Bertuzzi setting up Pasenak in game one, Bertuzzi scoring in game two, but five on five, they have been caved in. The The Bruins have been outshot 21 to six with that line on the ice in this series. Like that's, that's awful. And you know, it's like, it, it's a waste of Pasenak, honestly, like you, you can't, you don't want him spending, you know, 70% of his shifts in the D zone. And if that's how that line is going to be playing, like you have to try something else. It has to be, you know, whether it's someone who's going to bring more defensive edge to it, who will be better breaking out at 
I mean, at times that line when they were on the ice, they were just resorting to like Pasternak cherry picking and flipping it out to the neutral zone and hoping something happened. It's like that's that's not how the Bruins transition. Like that's just des- desperation. Um, so yeah, you they got to do something else there. Be- David Pasternak had one five on five shot attempt in game two, like, and that's because he was spending so much time in their own zone and the three of them together just. It, there's not enough there defensively to win pucks back and get going the other way and sustain offensive pressure. So yeah, whether it is, you know, Zaka joins that line in some capacity or, you know, I was thinking like, could you do like Mar- Martian, Krejci, Pasternak, and then, you know, then you would have a line of uh, Bertuzzi, Zaka, DeBrusque, like, there's a few different ways you could go, but you got to do something else because that line's not working. And by the way, now you're going on the road where the Paul Maurice can get whatever matchup he wants out against that line. So uh, they, you know, at least at home, they were seeing a little bit of the third and fourth line. You better believe it. If they keep that together on the road, they are going to see all either the Barkov line or the Bennett Kachuk line the entire game. Yeah, they and they're not a good defensive line. Like, okay, you got uh, – there were times and on the stall goal, it was very noticeable where they lose a puck in the neutral zone and they don't get back. Um, Pasternak and Bertuzzi were both chasing that play. Um, it was Bertuzzi's guy, I believe, uh, that scored, and you, they just kind of hung everybody out to dry. There was three Bruins defending instead of five because Bertuzzi and Pasternak hadn't gotten back and it was them that – I believe it was Bertuzzi that turned it over in the neutral zone before that. So they haven't been clicking the, um, well, at least in, in game two, they were not clicking offensively and their mistakes. They weren't willing to go get the puck back. They kind of just let um, their defensemen handle it after the turnovers. And I don't know. I did not like, I would say just like even the general attitude of that line was a little bit like lax and Bertuzzi made some really dumb passes today. Like that, there were some things that I was just shocked by. He loves this no look backwards pass to no one sometimes, um, or uh, to Makachuk today at one point. But um, he had some of the worst turnovers in the game. Obviously, there were some pretty bad failed clears, like Scott already mentioned. But um, sometimes you do that backhand pass over to Pasenak and he scores and it looks great, but it's not going to look like that every time. And that needs to stop. So um, I thought it was very careless. I think careless is probably a word you could use for a lot of the mistakes they made in a lot of, you know, big portions of the game. It was just kind of choppy, careless play. I would agree. I also feel like at least with Bertuzzi though, yes, he made a couple of ill-advised passes that could have led to a goal, but he also, at least he's making his his presence felt in other ways out there, and obviously yeah. he scored right. But like I feel but like I, I really like that goal. He was just standing in the right spot uh, and Zaka like shot it. Yeah, off. but yeah, but that's something that a lot of players don't do. So you got to give him credit for that. He's going to the right area of the ice and willing to take. You know, he's willing to go there. Um, I would so, say maybe he's just it was had a frustrating night. I mean, he was frustrated. We were pro- we were frustrated watching, um, you know what was going on, but. I didn't think he had a good night. I don't know if you guys disagree, but I thought that, I mean, he's going to be like that. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to be an agitator. That's how he plays, but it's different when you're also, you know, backing it up with your play and not, you know, part of the problem. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I don't think he had a great night in particular, but I think other players were just as bad, if not worse. And and on that line, like I, like I look at David Krejci, right? You're, you're a 15 year guy, 16 year guy in the NHL you've been around the block and then some, and it just seems like to me, what do people call him, right? They call him playoff crutch because he twice led the postseason in scoring. Well, a massive part of playoff hockey is being willing to go above and beyond in, in 50, 50 battles and really get your nose in there. And I think that Krejci just, when he's not, when he's not feeling it, he just isn't that he's not there. He's just, he's just a guy out there and he's not, he doesn't look like a. He's just taking up space and he's soft. And and, and I, I'm a huge David Krejci fan. But if you were to if you were to tell me or ask me 
Brian, what's what's the biggest difference between watching Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci over their careers? Because both are great at both sides of the puck, but Bergeron's always been a better comp- uh, competitor. Just like like as far as like shift in, shift out, doing what what needs to be done. And and Krejci, when you have a brand new line like he is on with Bertuzzi and Pasternak, you need to rely on that 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 centerman to have that experience to kind of be the backbone of that line. I know there's a 60 goal score on the, on the, on the right wing, but I, I, if I'm casting blame with all due respect to the Bertuzzi argument, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold him accountable, but I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold other players accountable before him because at least he was out there and being physical and, and outside of the turnovers was trying to be engaged. I saw a lot of players just kind of going through the motions out there um, up front. And- Which is kind of the scary part because at no point in the season, like there are very few points in the regular season that they look like they were just going through the motions. How could that be, you know, what you were doing in a playoff game and not finding a new gear? I mean, Marshawn did. Marshawn uh, was running around. I thought Taylor Hall had a decent game, but there, you know, that's two people. And T- Taylor Hall had a couple brutal turnovers too, though. Like did. even the one that ends with, you know, uh, Carlo on the field breakout Hall had two turnovers that shift that led to the extended possession in the first place. Um, like one in the neutral zone and then a drop pass to no one that led to the, to the Florida rush the other way. So, you know, he ends up getting a, a garbage time goal late, but it, I thought he really dropped off. You know, Jim Montgomery called him their best five on five forward in game one. And I think that, might have been accurate. I thought he was, I thought Taylor Hall was really good in game one. I thought he was not good in game two. Like, uh, you know, I thought Coyle brought it. I thought Martian brought it. Fourth line was, uh, decent enough, I guess. Like that, you know, they at least brought some energy at times, but other than that, a, a lot of no shows it, Brian, I, I agree that Bertuzzi was, trying and seem to bring some, you know, some energy, some effort at times, but overall, I thought it was still, still a pretty poor game from him. Just mm-hmm. that whole line. Like, I think I'm with Brian in that, like, if I'm gonna, you know, I guess do like the blame pie for that second line, then Krejci probably deserves the most. Generally a line's going to go as the center goes. And I, I don't, I think Krejci has struggled so far this series. And I don't know if that's, you know, is he still dealing with whatever was lingering late in the season that caused him to miss four, you know, the last four games? Um, possibly, but he led all the all forwards in ice time in game one. So, you know, I don't know if he would be doing that if he was 75%. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, like I said, I keep going back to just when that line has, when Florida's had possession and that line's been on the ice, it's like everyone's just playing really soft defense and like almost prevent defense where it's like, they're just like, okay, just try to keep my guy in front of me. And, but like, they're not attacking the puck. They're not winning it back. So it's like that it's like almost just going through the motions and trying not to, I don't know, not like not to give up a great chance, but it's like, if you spend enough time in your zone, then like eventually, eventually you're gonna crack. Like the Bruins are at their best when they are attacking and defending aggressively and working to win pucks back. And that line, especially, I just thought was very passive defensively. And and on that goal, as as Bridget highlighted, like Pasanak and Bertuzzi are both caught, you know, above the puck and they both it was like they both expected the other one to be covering Eric Stahl who by the way Eric Stahl is like 49 years old and slow and you're telling me Pasanak and Bertuzzi can't keep up with him like what are we doing guys like that's just pure effort or communication or like there's there's no reason Eric Stahl should be getting separation from Pasanak and or Bertuzzi I also felt like that line was oftentimes matched up against Kachuk, Bennett, and was it uh, Verhage? Was was that the third guy on that line? Yeah, they they do a little switching, but yeah, he was 
with them at times, and Lusterinen was was mm. with them at times. So, but at least the combination of Bennett and Kachuk up against Krejci and, and Pasternak, like their physicality, like that's 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 what happens. Like we talk about, like before before the playoffs started, it's like there is such a difference, and we all know this, but such a difference between the regular season when you're playing different teams on different schedules and everybody's just trying to, you know, go through the grind of a regular season and nobody's really matched. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's regular season hockey, you know, it's glorified pond hockey relative for these NHL players, the playoffs it's what watch this game. It's like when Brad Martian's on the ice, Radko Gudis is wearing him like a Halloween costume. Um, and then when that's not a matchup, you have, you have Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett checking Krejci hard, checking Pasternak hard. Like, it the the effort that it entails for the Bruins to be as successful as they were in the regular season in the postseason, the effort has to be just so much better. The execution decision making has to be so much crisper. With some, they need a lot more vindication in their game, and like they just seem they're they're way too cute. They're trying to they're, they're not they're not keeping it simple. Just like again, it's like how how do you how do you have a season with sixty five wins? then get to the postseason and just neglect all the basics that got you there. Like it's a new season. Like they're, they are capable of losing four games just like everybody else. And so like, I think that Florida has absolutely outworked Boston for the, for the, I would say majority of the two games so far, at least five on five. I think, I think Florida has, they certainly earned a winning game too. You can make the argument that Florida earned, could have won game one too, based off of um, effort alone. So now they're going down to Florida and it's going to be a tall task and we don't know if Bergeron's going to be in. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on the forwards a little bit further. We can touch on Bergeron potentially too, but if, if we're keeping it to game two, uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about on the, on the blue line as well and certain performances back there. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good with switching to, to defense. Um, you know, I, we can get to Bergeron towards the end, but yeah, like obviously his return would be enormous. You know, we were talking about how, or not really us, but you heard people talking about like, oh, do you just, you know, let Bergeron rest up because you can handle the Panthers? And it's like, no, like you, you don't assume anything in the playoffs. If Bergeron could play, he would be playing And we did find out today, finally, that it was, injury not illness that's keeping him out so um yeah like that's obviously concerning he has an injury that has kept him out of two playoff games and we know what Bergeron will play through so you can imagine that it's something you know fairly serious um well still called him you know day to day so they're not rolling him out for any prolonged period of time but uh but yeah, like clearly they did miss him. They definitely missed him in game two. So, you know, for anyone who thought like they're just going to be fine and they'll roll past the Panthers, like I, I know I picked a sweep. I obviously acknowledged before, you know, game one that like if Bergeron's going to miss time, that changes it. But, um, oh, I didn't know there was an asterisk in there, Scott. Do we get to play that game? <laughs> well, I, well, this is my point is like, I'm not one of those people who looked at it and said like, Oh, whatever. They'll be fine without Bergeron. Like, no, Patrice Bergeron is still a really damn good hockey player, and you're going to miss him. And like anyone who didn't think they were was an idiot. So, um, yeah, like shocking. They miss a player who is still one of the ten best centers in the NHL. Like, oh, did you news. hear people saying that though? Because I try to think. Like, I don't think I remember having a conversation with or hearing anyone say they thought that they would be fine without Bergeron. I like a lot of a lot of the conversation and it's going to get worse now um, was that, you know, Bergeron's too big of a piece to miss time in the playoffs. So rest him. And then we have the situation where he gets hurt in game 82 in Montreal and hasn't been back since. Um, so that's more what I yeah, heard. I listen. I listen to I listen to too much sports radio, so. That's, I mean, that's, we that's literally work that. for sports radio, and yes. I try not to listen. I've, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard people saying that the Bruins could get by the first round without him. Not, but not, not necessarily the, 
the succeeding rounds, but for round one, people have been saying, yeah, Boston, Boston had 100, 135 points. They should get by Florida in the first round because people look at it very matter-of-factly. They look at it like President's Trophy winners, greatest regular season of all time. You're playing an eight seed. You don't need your captain. You shouldn't need your captain. The problem is I don't like when people look at things like that because if you watch the team, you understand, like, yes, the Bruins did accomplish those things, but we all know that if you have a couple of off games in the playoffs, that's all it takes. You go down two games in a series, like, the whole world looks different. So I have heard people say that, but to Scott's point, I think it's idiotic. I think to take any team in the NHL for granted is so stupid because the parity is so similar, regardless if you have the – best winning uh, record of all time in the regular season, or if you just got into the playoffs because the parity, because of the salary cap era, which by the way, the Bruins have kind of worked around this year, but um, like the, the Florida Panthers. Okay. They won a president's trophy last year. They switched out Huberto for Kachuk. That's a win. And yes, they lost, they lost uh, Mackenzie Wegar, but like it's not like they had a massive and they lost uh Mason Marshman to Dallas, but it's not like they had a massive personnel turnover from the president's trophy roster that, that they were last year. So, so to, to look at them like a traditional eight seed, I feel like was, is irresponsible for fans. We, t- and, and like, they just got, they, they had a really bad first half of the season. Florida did, but they're, they're on paper. They are not an eight seed. So for, to look at it any other way would be silly, but yeah, I, I kind of forget what we're even talking about, but yeah. Well, um, I do want to ask just because we're like, we're kind of walking down this road, Scott, we, after seeing, you know, the way that the Bruins have matched up against Florida in the first two games, do you feel like maybe you would have changed your mind a little bit about the the Islanders versus the, the Panthers who the Bruins would match up better against? Because even the goaltending has been okay like it hasn't been terrible lion has made some you know he's let in some soft ones but he's also not played that enough to get pulled out they had a chance uh to take him out for game two they they keep him in there and um i don't know how you feel about the matchup now and and what it looks like when you actually see it um as probably what would have been the bruins toughest or it is the bruins toughest outcome for how they could have drawn an opponent um, no, nah, I don't know. I mean, I, I still so I'm not going to change your mind now. <laughs> I, I don't really think there's any point to even like doing this exercise, honestly, because like my reasoning was I was worried more about Sorokin than anything that the Panthers had. So like, I'll stick by that, I guess. But I never thought like the Panthers were a bad team. I thought the Bruins, if Bergeron was going to be in, could sweep them because they're much better defensively and have a much better goalie. Uh, in game two, neither of those things were true. Their defense let them down. And uh, Allmark, I guess we might as well get to this. Like, I didn't think Allmark played very well in game two. Like, yeah, the defense in front of him let him down, hung him out to dry, whatever you want to call it. But I thought there were there were a few savable shots in there that got past him. You know, the first one, Sam Bennett, like, Yes, he's coming in alone, but he gets beat on a kind of weak shot five hole. Like it was just seemed like a little out of position and had his legs too open. Um, the the shots through screens in game one, I thought he did a great job of fighting to make sure he saw everything and and gobbled them up. And game two, he didn't really those two Montar shots. Like he wasn't able to track them. He didn't fight hard enough to see around the screen. So, um, yeah, I mean, Alex line, I thought was pretty bad in game one that like, I heard some people saying like, Oh, he was really good. Cause he stopped those couple two on ones. But to me, if you give up like a couple soft goals, which I thought he did, then that kind of qualifies as, as a bad game in the playoffs, but he bounced back. I thought he was, I thought he was good in game two. So, um, yeah, I mean, things haven't gone, the way that I expected mostly because Bergeron isn't in. And secondly, because I didn't think there was going to be a game like this from the Bruins defense and goaltending. I just thought, you know, that they're so much better than this. They should be so much better than this. Um, 
and they still can be like they if the Bruins play up to their potential they could win the next three and gentlemen sweep them like that's still on the table but you know part of losing game two I thought was them beating themselves and that's always going to be a recipe for disaster in the playoffs no matter who the opponent is so here's another question then because when coach was asked after the game, would he make a defensive change? Like would, would the, the, the outcome and what he saw in game two prompt a, a change in defensive personnel. And he said, he's going to consider changing everything in all positions. And I don't know why the first thing that popped into my head was goaltending. I, I know the question was about moving Grizzlick back in. Um, but do you think there's changes that need to be made defensively? Like, are you switching someone else into the lineup on defense, offense, or, and do you, you know, even in that? Um, yeah, I, I think I would make changes at all three levels. We, we already touched on forward. I would absolutely, at the very least, you have to change Bertuzzi, Krejci, Pasenak. I don't think you can run that line back. Um, on defense, I do think Grizzlick could help. I think now would be a good time to get him in, um, especially when you're looking at breakouts and transitions that have been pretty poor. Not that not, like, not that Grizzlick's immune to turnovers. Anyone is capable of them, and Grizzlick's made them in the past. But that especially a game like tonight, you see like forward face time way down, uh, especially five on five, especially when they're trailing. Like he's you know, you can't really use them in that situation. It doesn't bring enough to the table. You know, when they fell down this game, it's like those are situations where, you, you know, you're used to seeing that Grizzly McAvoy pairing because they can be so good in the offensive zone and help create stuff. And um, I know you don't ever plan on being behind and you want to think positively and, and, you know, hope that you're protecting leads, but the reality of the playoffs is like, there's going to be times that you're down a goal or two and you have to come back. And, um, you know, I just think Grizzly could help their five and five game because, uh, that's, you know, I think they've struggled. I think Florida has been the better five on five team and in goal. Um, it's closer for me, but I think I would probably make the switch to Swayman for game three. Just because, like I said, I thought Allmark was a little off, and I I think they've been so close all season. You guys know I've been open to carrying a rotation to the playoffs. So for me, like I would be, I would have already been planning to play both. Um, if Allmark was great in both games and they lost tonight two to one instead of six to three, then I'd be like, okay, well Allmark's been great. I understand if you just want to keep riding him, that's fine. But I think since he had an off game, um, you know, look, if he's your like true number one and this is like the classic approach that you take, you know, with that you would have taken with Tim Thomas or two Garask, then then I guess you keep riding him. And and I kind of feel like that's probably what they're going to do, honestly, is I think they're going to just keep riding Allmark because they've decided he's their number one and it's going to have to get you know, bad multiple games in a row to move to, to take him out. But personally, I would go to Swayman. I will say that in a conversation that I had, the the only reason I, uh, not the only reason, but I think they stick with Allmark. And this is my main reason why is because I was in a conversation earlier today with some of the other reporters. And they said that this morning Swayman was maybe not seeming fully healthy. Um, and was asking for calcium and was just not like, not a hundred percent. So, um, you know, there's a chance that his health factors into whether or not he'll play game three as well. Well, ironically enough, I also feel like that goes for all Mark too, because before the, I want to say it was the fourth Panthers goal. There was like a shift or two before Montour scored, or maybe it was, uh, I forget who it was who scored their fourth goal. But about a shift or two before that goal, there was a there was a play where Omar kind of stretched out to make a save again on like a get Boston giveaway, and 
he covered the puck up and during the whistle, you could just kind of see him like wincing. Uh, so I don't know if all Marcus battling through something as well. So, I mean, but if they're, if they're both healthy or ready to, ready to play, I would probably give all game game three, just because I, I just feel like if you, if you go to Swayman after one loss, it, it just creates opportunity for getting in your own head about who's the right guy to go with now game in and game out. But if I, but if all loses game three, I, I'm good to ride Swayman until he gives you a reason to put all back in. Um, also, I would play Swayman in game three if Allmark is laboring and Swayman's not. I don't want Allmark in there if he's not 100%. So if he is battling through something, I'd rather Swayman in. But if he's healthy, I'd like to see Allmark get a chance at it again. But that's the goaltending situation. That's that, That's one conversation. But Bridget, to your other questions, on the back end, I'm all for Grizzly going in for Forbert. I think, look, if, I have to, if I'm going to be consistent, like I, I, I felt like he was a good addition to the lineup for games for, for game one and they won game one. So I, I would stick with it for game two with Forbert in the lineup because I, I just think that Florida was a heavier team and, and, and they have been a heavier team, but then you have a game like tonight where the Bruins couldn't get out of their own way. And Forbert's a part of that. And they were, they were careless with the puck. I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, but I still want size. No, he had his chance. He, he wasn't great in game two. Neither were a lot of the Bruins players, but he came included. So I'm all for putting Grizzly back in the lineup and adding some more mo- more mobility and transition to their game because I know Montgomery said he liked the their breakouts for most of the game tonight. I didn't really see much going on there. I thought they were pretty kind of stuck in the mud because they couldn't get out of their own way. And by the way, to start the game, I, I know we talked about it on online. It was th- there were nine whistles in the first two minutes of the game. There wasn't a lot of fluidity to the game in the first period, and and the Bruins' play was also not very fluid. And then the last thing I'll say, so the goaltending situation, I'm kind of indifferent. It kind of depends on each goalie's health. But if they're both healthy, I'd say Allmark. I would sub in Grizzly for Forbert. Up front, definitely want to change up the lines that were tonight. And I also wouldn't mind subbing in A.J. Greer or Jacob Blauco on that fourth line, maybe for Nick Foligno, or just because – I. He hasn't really done much and he's still coming back from injury. And I thought that fourth line was playing great before Felino came back. So I think Loco would be an absolute energizer bunny for the Bruins in game three. He'd run around same with AJ Greer. So I wouldn't mind something like that. And then I don't know if Thomas Nosek will potentially have a call for that, that higher hit to uh, was it Eric Stahl. Didn't seem too vicious, but if the elbow did graze the head, I wouldn't be surprised if the lead took a look, and who knows? I mean, he could get a game for that. He might get nothing. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like if they're going to look at that, then they also look at Aaron Ekblad's hit on Adri Orlov. And honestly, like I don't think they're going to look at either one, but uh, or at least won't have a call for either one, but I guess we'll see. Um, just on, on injury and illness with uh, Elmark and Swayman, since, you know, we kind of touched on it. Let's remember, like, yeah, Swayman missed practice on Sunday with an illness. So we know he was dealing with something. My assumption is that because he's been practicing in full and has been the backup for games, I'm assuming he he's healthy enough to play. Like, if Elmark got injured on the first shot of the game, Swayman would be playing. So um, does that. And then on Allmark, it's like, yeah, let's remember his last regular season game, he left injured. And as much as they say it's precautionary and, you know, not a big deal. And Allmark says he's feeling fine. I mean, something he was laboring. He, you know, was clearly slow to get up after stretching side to side and, then you know played a couple more minutes and then left the game didn't return so he Allmark looked really, really good in game one he said like didn't look like there were any effects Brian you highlighted you know that play where he, there's a little bit of laboring again and it's like okay is that the same thing is it related is it something different like we don't know but um yeah certainly if there's something injury wise going on then even more reason to 
to go with Swayman if he's healthy. You know, like Bridget said, maybe maybe he is still sick too. I just find that I find it a little bit hard to believe that like if you know if he's too sick to be starting games, then to me he's too sick to be backing up in the playoffs because like what if something happens to Elmark, you're gonna go to a sick Jeremy Swayman who shouldn't be playing like I, that doesn't seem like something that would be happening i i just really wish i knew what the bug was that was going through and like what the actual symptoms were and like the recovery and why it's ta- why it's just been so devastating so far seemingly um affected you know everyone from Pasternak to Swayman to Bergeron apparently at one point uh no sick didn't go to Montreal Lauco so this is a first of all the worst possible timing for something like this to go through the team and it seems to be pretty severe um in that it's taken guys longer to recover from and it's not been as easy to play through as just your normal everyday cold or flu or whatever um so uh, it that's what makes this difficult, and it's a bit of bad luck, you could say, for sure, because timing-wise, couldn't happen at a worse time. And then for Olmark and Bergeron to be dealing with these injuries at the same time this is going on with the illness, um, you know, things are starting to pile up, and uh, we knew some of that could happen. I don't think I would have guessed, like, illness like this, um, but if your two goalies are both 80% and they've been for the most part, both able to go at a hundred percent and two of the best goalies in the league for most of the season. Now you are dealing with something that you didn't deal with in the regular season. So they're dealing with a few things that they, you know, that, that these are new challenges uh, that they're going to have to get through. I want to talk I, just because I posed the question, but didn't get to answer it um, about Grizzlick. Um, and coming back in for forward, I agree. I want to see him out there. I liked before forward was in there and we had had this conversation as well. You get to split up Orlov and McAvoy. And then you also have one of your, you know, a, a really solid defenseman on each of your three pairs. And if you put girls like back in there with McAvoy, you move Orlov down to the third pair and you keep Lindholm Carlo together. Um, it's a different look on the breakout. Like you mentioned him and McAvoy have been a good pair the whole year. I don't see any reason why not to go for that for the five on five benefit that it would have. Um, yeah. At the very end of the game, when things were getting out of hand forward to try to fight someone and, uh, um, you know, tried to add a little bit of energy or maybe was just purely frustrated. Um, that's the one thing he brings that Grizzly really does not. Um, but I think it's time to try it for a game. I don't think anybody should be offended that um, something dictate like matchups and situations dictate Grizzly to be in over forward or forward over Grizzly. Um, so I'm ready to see Grizzly go in there. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect for this game in Florida, though, in terms of like their response. They've had good responses after losses. They have, like, they don't tend to have losing streaks, really. Um, So it'll be interesting to see just the kind of energy that they bring when they get to Florida. Well, I think the game two heated up. So I'm sure you'll see both teams bring in the energy, and I think you'll start to see a little bit of that, that piss and vinegar from both sides. I think Florida's an emotional team. They don't get the credit they deserve because they're down in Florida, but they've had some pretty good run-ins with Tampa the last couple of years, regular season, postseason, where things have gotten pretty heated with them. So Florida's not going to back down from the Bruins. They have the guys that can that'll stand up for themselves and their teammates. You've seen it already in this series. But just uh, w- one player I wanted to bring up is Hampus Lindholm. Uh, I I don't know how he seems in person, but for me. He is a very, very, very intelligent hockey player, and he has some of the best instincts on the ice. And when he trusts his instincts and just plays the game that as he sees in front of him, he is an elite defenseman in this league. 
but I feel that he has been playing way too methodical so far in this series, and he's been trying to play too perfect and make the perfect play and the perfect read, and it's slowing down his decision-making because he's overthinking a little bit. And when he's when he's at his best, he's just going. He's just dictating play and and taking the ice in front of him, and he just seems to be he's pulling up on regroups. He's not being very decisive when, when the Panthers dump the puck in, he's, he's like just taking a little bit, an extra second or two to make that decision. If he wants to go to his partner or go up the boards, he's, and he's just not himself. And, and Hampus Lindholm is not the most physical guy at all. And I'm wondering if the intensity of, of, of playoff hockey Considering the fact that while he does have experience in Anaheim going on some deep runs, you're talking six, seven years ago now at this point. And last year, it was a quick stint for Boston. He missed a couple of games from injury after the Andreas Svechnikov hit that knocked him out. So I'm just wondering, do you feel like Lindholm's game is taking a little bit of time to acclimate to the playoff caliber of, or style of play right now that he, that's being asked of him? Um, I mean, I uh, just kind of thinking about it, honestly, like, I, I feel like he might be the the defenseman I've been least worried about so far this series. Like, I, I do think he could probably take more chances and, and activate more, be a little bit more involved offensively, but, you know, so maybe methodical or like safe was the word that came to mind, but defensively, like, I, he's not one who's been like sticking out in terms of making mistakes or you know anything like that he's on the ice for the for the goal against tonight but that comes after a carlo turnover like i i think for the most part he's still been pretty solid i think that pair that pairing hasn't given up a ton other than that carlo turnover um so yeah lindholm hadn't really crossed my mind as like a, a huge negative certainly not more than a more than other guys, there's plenty I would put in that list ahead of him. But yeah, he, you know, I, I mentioned like we would touch on them, not the Bruins offensively not creating enough high danger chances, which was definitely a problem in game two. And I think part of that is I do feel like defensemen in general haven't been as involved as we've seen Orlov was in game one. But uh, Lindholm, we haven't seen as much, you know, getting deep in the offensive zone, moving around, being involved. And I would say the same thing about McAvoy, who McAvoy, I think, had not had a great series. Or game one, I thought McAvoy was really solid. Game two was a tough game for him. Um, he had the one bad turnover. He's tied up with Barkov in front, screening Lindholm on another goal. And I didn't think he was nearly as active um, in game two. So, that's part of it. Like obviously, you know, forwards need to be doing more work, but I do think the the big defensemen, your McAvoy, Lindholm, even Orlov, like you do want to see them involved offensively more and helping to create some of those chances. And it's another area where Grizzly could help. Like we know Grizzly doesn't put up a lot of points, but he can be active and help create offensively. Um, so yeah, that was, that's a, I guess long winded take on Lindholm, which is like, I'm not sorry, but I do think he can probably be doing more. Yeah, I just kind of meant like, and and yeah, you answered it, uh, perfect, Scott. Like I, 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 I don't know, I don't know if I came across like I, I thought he was playing poorly. I guess what I was more so saying was I just feel like he's he's come to Boston and he and he's been such a horse and such a such a driver of offense and such a such a fantastic player that that good simply good or steady isn't good enough for him because he has more potential and and, and more capabilities than than next guy so i like when we when they when they brought him in and then when they got orloff this year it was just, the conversation was like man look at boston they 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 boast two and a half number one defensemen with charlie mcavoy and then hampus lindholm and then dimitri orloff so I guess what I'm saying is like at some point here in the playoffs, they're going to have to be those guys on the, on, on the, on the score sheet as well. Not just the good, the good stick stick play here. And, and that, that's all great. You need to do that. I'm just saying 
more is expected of, of him. And, and you're right. Like I, I McAvoy, if we're, if we're talking apples to apples, maybe I should have posed a question about McAvoy instead of Lindholm. Cause maybe that wasn't fair, but I maybe, and maybe I just picked on Lindholm cause I noticed a few plays tonight where he just seemed like not himself and he got caved in a few times on a four check, but uh, certainly a lot is expected of him and McAvoy and, and even Orlov. And if they want this team to be, to put them over the top, they're going to have to be what they are in the regular season in the postseason. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on Lindholm Bridget or anything else from the game. No, I just like, as you guys were talking about that, trying to think of anything else, like just maybe that's not just speculation. Cause I feel like, um, you know, if you guys were to guess would they have another game like that in them, I just don't see it happening a, a second time as bad as it, as it was, hopefully, um game two was bad enough that it was a wake-up call um and that they come out and respond very well in uh in friday's game in florida um because there's still the question marks about bergeron you know it, it makes it hard to say exactly what game three is gonna look like um same as the first two games and we, you know, we find out that it was not the illness and that it was injury. And it's just, it was gamesmanship a little bit, I assume, the um, for game one. But we still don't really know where he is. And reading between the lines a little bit from Montgomery's press conference this morning was, he said, oh, somebody asked him, who makes the decision? Is it you? Is it the trainers? Like Bergeron. And he said, it's everybody, but nobody thought he was ready to play today. So that makes me think he wasn't just like a game time decision, like they meant they like they said he was for game one. If he wasn't a game time decision for game two, there's no way he really was truly for game one. And if no one agrees that he's ready to go back out there, then it's not like I don't know how close he is necessarily. So um That'd be a, a, a big blow. I mean, it'd be a big boost to get him back for sure, especially in a game that you, especially after a game that you lose the way you lost when you're kind of out of form and out of character, you get your best character guy back on the ice with you. That could be pretty big, but just, um, you know, that, that could be a key factor in them getting back on track. Certainly. So, yeah, I mean, having him back would be massive. I mean, for me, it's like this, this game tonight was a massive missed opportunity. Uh, you win this game. Let's let's be honest. Florida's not winning four out of the next five to beat this Boston Bruins team. Instead, it's a one-one series going back to Florida. And 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 the sad reality is, the Bruins could play phenomenal in Game Three. They could play a full sixty minutes of hockey. They could play a full eighty if it takes overtime, and it could take a bad bounce or a goalie standing on their head or or a bad call, and they can end up losing the game. So. It's just you have to. You're not. You're not gonna. God bless. God bless you, Scott. You're not gonna. You're, I actually unmutes his mic to sneeze. I know. Well, yeah. Well, I was starting to talk, and then the sneeze came. But um, <laughs> like, so I. I yeah. But I actually disagree with that. It's like that's where I still think if the Which Bruins part? play, if the Bruins play their best or close to it, I still think they win. Like I, I don't. I don't see well, the Panthers beating them. If... Well, his sneeze yeah, also I mean, sure, but... you. Scott, you, you, Scott, you've watched the game long enough. You've seen teams dominate a game, and somehow they they find a way to lose. Not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like a as an insult to Boston. Like, like just things happen, you know. Yeah, but I, I like I'll definitely take take my if the Bruins bring their A or A minus game, which we haven't seen yet. Even game one, they no. didn't bring that, and they still won. So. Um, if they bring their A or A minus game, like I'm not worried. It, what worries me is that, you know, we're now going on to game three of the series and we haven't seen it yet. So yeah. um, they, they do have to find it, but if they play the way they're capable of, then I, uh, they're going to win the series. Like, I'm not worried about that to me. It's, can they get there and Bergeron back to get there? Um, you know, because we, as as we said, like now, now that we know it's an injury, it's okay. What is the injury and how severe is it? And you know, how close is he really? And is he going to be, you know, 
85% when he comes back or is he going to be 60%? Like we now the like decisions because in illness, like you can say, okay, well you recover from an illness, you get your strength back and you're good to go an injury. Now we have to deal with like, is it going to linger and, and all that stuff. So, and how long do you um, need to rehab? And like, is there certain things like you have to certain progressions you have to make? Um, yeah. And he hasn't been on the ninth floor from what I can tell. Like I saw Greer up there today, but I didn't see Bergeron and I don't think he's been watching the games from up there. Um, he might be watching them from like in the room, but yeah, I didn't see him up on the ninth floor at any point in the first two games. Um, I'm sure it's killing him. Um, yeah. It's probably, you know, a terrible feeling for him. Um, and I'm pretty sure he speaks to the guys in between every period, but um, totally different when you, you know, you're sitting there and watching your team with, you know, with your suit on rather than, than being able to be with them. So yeah, it's, it's a huge factor. Um, but do they have the depth that they need to overcome it? I think they do. Like I, you saw it in game one, they were able to still take that game and Zaka has filled in fine on the first line. I don't see anything wrong with Zaka's play, but the way that the ripple through the lineup would be, if you got Bergeron back, it would strengthen the lineup because you get the check line back together, able to move Bertuzzi back a line, you know, it would give you more options, more flexibility to try to counter whatever moves Florida might make matchup wise. Yeah, Scott, I, I think I think you said it best. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on on that point, Bridget. If Bergeron comes back for Game Three, I think you said it best, Scott. I I, I agree with you. I think if the Bruins bring their A game, I, I I I made the comment anything can happen, right? Which is true. But yes, I'm if they if they bring their A game, I'm very very confident that that game will lead to to uh to wins um the good news is nobody on this on this panel here thought that they were going to go 16 to 0 and route to a stanley cup hopefully so you know perhaps it's better to get to get this slap in the face and this 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 bucket of cold water dumped on them right now uh and and really truly wake them up because nothing nothing will get a team playing the way they need to play like the fear of elimination and realizing that Oh wow, wow! Boston had 65 wins this year, and we had 135 points. And Florida had 40 something wins and 92 points. But guess what? Two games into a series, and both teams are three games away from going home. So it's it's a very sobering and humbling uh, loss for the Bruins tonight. And hopefully they can that can energize them and play some responsible hockey on Friday night. So um, if you have if either of you have closing thoughts, now's the time. I don't want you guys to be up until 7 a.m. doing this episode. So I'll, I'll throw it to you guys real quick. No, I think I'm good. We, we, you know, we'll see. We might find out on Thursday. Montgomery has a press. There's no practice, but the Montgomery has a press conference at 11 a.m. Um, maybe he gives us an answer as to whether we're traveling or not. So we'll see. But that'll, that'll be the first chance we get to, you know, potentially get uh, an update on Bergeron because if he travels, then you would have to assume that means they think there's at least a chance he's gonna be available. He's gonna travel, he's, one, he's gonna like, travel. one of three or four. I don't why see, would he I travel mean, if I, they know he's not gonna play though? It's part of this game, and also it's part of him being an emotional leader, so he's gonna travel, he's gonna go, he's gonna be there as a leader. Even if he's not playing, I think he's going to travel. So I don't know if we're going to learn anything from that. I mean, we might learn something from what well, Montgomery says, but I, I feel like he'll travel either way. I mean, it, it depends. Like, like it, everyone's only speculating on what it is that he's dealing with. But like one of the things that's come up is back. Well, what's not good for a back sitting on a flight for five hours? So, it, like, you know what I mean? Like, if something like that or people speculate about concussion, like you're not supposed to fly with a concussion. So I'm just saying like, if it was something like that where they, okay, they know he's not going to play or they at least know he's not going to play game three. Um, you know, he could potentially not travel because getting on a plane would not be the best thing for whatever he's dealing with. So 
but that's just speculation. We don't know what it is. So, okay. Well, here's some here's some further speculation. I think the podcast is about to wrap up. So, if either of you right. have anything else to say, I think now is a good chance to probably sign off. And uh, just to recap, so the Bruins fall to the Panthers six to three. Series tied one one. Heading back to Sunrise, Florida, Friday night. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you.